Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Go with me to Psalm 63. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 8. And Spirit of God, this week, this, this message has been burning in my heart since Monday. I really believe the Lord wants to stir our appetite and our hunger for more of Him. And if there's anyone that we could go to that had an appetite and a hunger for more of God, it was King David. The context of what we're about to read is that King David is um, in the wilderness. Now, if you study this passage, David is literally a refugee in his own country. He's on the run. And scholars don't know for sure, but he's either on the run from Saul, King Saul, and he's already been, David's already been anointed king of Samuel because he refers to himself as king in the passage. And so he had a revelation of that. Or he's on the run from his own son, Absalom. And he's in the wilderness and he turns his attention toward God. And the Bible says in Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy My soul clings to you. Another translation says, my soul follows hard after you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I want to speak to you today on this idea. I'm full, but I'm still hungry. I'm full of you, God, but I'm still hungry. Uh, many years ago, when I was 16 years of age, I struck up a friendship with a very pretty girl by the name of Simone. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit through church activities and through camps and different things that our church movement would uh, uh, attend and people would come from all over the movement and hang out together. And I decided that it was time to take this relationship to the next level. Time to deepen the connection, the friendship. And so I organised at 16 years of age for my parents to drive me to the forest. And I, we purchased some flowers. Mum and Dad bought the flowers. And uh, I got a card and I poured out all my feelings in the card. And, and, uh, and I organised for my parents to take me and the flowers and the card to Simone's netball game at Kew High School on a Saturday afternoon. 
because that was the only way that I could see her. And so we, uh, mum and dad dropped me off and uh, rather awkwardly for the entire netball game, I stood there on the sideline with flowers and a car. In my, why are you laughing? What's wrong with that? And so, and, and I stood there on the sideline and waited patiently while people laughed. And there were nervous giggles at this young little whippersnapper who clearly uh, was keen for someone on the netball court that was running around in a mini skirt. And so, um, so at the end of the netball game, we decided to go for a walk. And we found a park bench and I gave her the flowers and I gave her the card and she opened the card and began to read and everything was going really well. And Simone looked at the card and we began to talk and I began to share my heart. And she said, um, you know, effectively, this is wonderful, but let's build our friendship and let's see where this goes. And when she said that, her intention, and I want to make sure I don't throw her under the bus because... Many times I've shared this story, I've thrown her under the bus, all right? Um, her intention was, yeah, I'm keen, I'm interested. Let's build this friendship. How many know that's wise? Let's just see where this goes. You know, we're, we're adolescents, we're teenagers. She's not jumping into this too quickly. Not me, though. What I heard was, I just want to be friends. And we all know what that means in this room. And literally in that moment, I began to feel my heart close up. True story, right? And within 72 hours, I had concluded, she's not interested. She doesn't want a friendship with me. Oh, well, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You snooze, you lose. All right? So literally, here is Simone. She's wanting to build this friendship. She's wanting to go on the journey. But I misinterpreted her heart because I just want to go from zero to 100 real quick, right? Little bit of my personality. And so let's just escalate this real quick. Whereas she was like, no, let's not microwave this relationship. Let's put the roast in the oven and let's just see. That what happens, let's do the slow burn. Oh God, the slow burn, right? And so I just, over the weeks and over the months, all communication stopped. Everything went silent because I began to retreat. What started with passion now began to retreat into passivity. And I began to think about that and how many believers approach God the same way after they get saved. They get saved and they're full of passion and in worship, they're expressive and they're pouring out their heart. They realise what they've been saved from and when it comes to the time of the offering, they're generous. When it comes to their prayers, they're raw, they're real, they're honest. When it comes to sharing their faith, they want to tell everyone about this new decision and this new encounter that they've had. But over time, their passion turns to passivity. And what often happens is many believers buy into a misinterpretation of the doctrine of justification by faith. That says, well, I'm saved and that's good enough. But you need to know something. God didn't save you just so that you would live for all of the rest of your relationship with God in the doorway of salvation. He doesn't want you to have a salvation that lacks hunger. You've got to guard against the salvation without hunger, without passivity. Many believers have misinterpreted a salvation 
by faith. Last week we were talking about hearing with faith that everything in the kingdom of God is accessed by God's sovereign grace, the power of the Spirit, and you're hearing with faith. And we can sort of misinterpret even that and say, well, now that I'm saved, now that I'm on, I've got a ticket on the gospel train, and now that I'm heading to heaven, I actually don't need to do much else. And what happens is complacency, spiritual complacency, starts to eat into our souls and complacency is the dinner bell of impending spiritual death. You've got to guard your heart against a salvation that lacks passionate hunger for the things of God. I think too many of us are too content for too little. We're settled for scraps from the master's table when there is a banquet and a feast that is actually waiting for us. And the secret cause of all desire for God is God's desire for you. And that's why one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith is that we pursue God because He first pursued us. This is so essentially important to wrap our minds and hearts around. And this is something of David's reality. David is in the old covenant, but it is almost like a type of a new covenant reality that we are going to discover as spirit-filled new covenant believers. And he says in verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. (coughs) There is this acknowledgement in who God is. He's in relationship with God, but he is still pursuing God. He says, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. God, you, I know who you are. You pursued me, but I'm still passionately pursuing you. The doctrine of provenient grace says that before you can seek God, God must first seek you. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. There is this magnetism, this holy magnetism, this drawing of the Spirit of God that draws us to the heart of God. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the what you do with that impulse originates with you. There is this divine partnership in relationship with God, between God's sovereignty and His pursuit of us and our willful response of who He is. If you want more of God, you've got to pursue Him. It was in uh, uh, the Alabaster Box Prayer Chapel in California late last year when I was there and Simone and I were there for a couple of hours and our team was there and and, and as I began to pray over and over again for the entire two hours, all I heard was Psalm 42, 7, deep calls unto deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and waves have washed over me. And it had multiple layers of truth inside of that where I was recognising the depths of who God is was reaching out to the depths of my spirit and was provoking a response inside of me. And the depths of my spirit was desperately searching and hungering and thirsting for more of the depths of who God is. And I realised my relationship 
with God was changing. My relationship was going deeper. No longer could I tolerate where I was at, that God was calling me deep. I want to say to you today, God's calling us deeper, church. He's calling you deeper. Deep cries unto deep. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we treat God as a concept. We treat God as a philosophy, an idea that we can contain in a box or a container. We, we treat God as a thing. But you need to know today, God is a person who has built inside of you a capacity to personally know Him. He wants you to know who He is. He, 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 all relationship is a response of one personality to another personality. And one of the great privileges of life is using your personality, not in a uh, uh, negative sense, but engaging your personality in the personality of another and getting to know them. Well, as we are little, God too is enlarged. Apart from sin, of course. Okay? And so God is a person with a personality. He has a mind that thinks. He has a mouth that speaks. He has a heart and emotions that grieves, that desires, that loves. He is a person that wants to be known. And he has a personality that is reaching out to your personality and to your spirit to know you. It's so important that we understand that God is a person to be experienced, not a doctrine to be studied. A lot of people approach God as an idea, as a philosophy. He's to be pursued. You can't know God in one encounter. It takes more than one encounter at revival conference or when you got baptised in the Holy Spirit or when someone laid hands on you and prayed over you in a prayer line for you to know God. It requires constant encounter. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, Morning by morning He awakens me. So it isn't Sunday by Sunday. It's not conference by conference. It's not life group by life group. It's morning by morning. He awakens my soul. A God consciousness is cultivated through daily intimacy. What does 2 Corinthians 3.18 say? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are conformed to the same image from what? One degree of glory to another. I want to tell you today, there's more glory to discover. There's more glory waiting for you today. There's more glory of God in your family. There's more glory for you to be clothed with. There is more glory. He takes us from glory to glory, Numa Church. Thank God what He did at Revival Conference, but I'm hungry for more. Thank God what He did last year, but I'm hungry for more. There's got to be a stirring and a thirsting and an appetite, a flesh fainting. It says, God, take me from glory to glory. Conform me to your image. I want more of you and the goal is unbroken communion with the Holy Spirit 
It's not just possible, it's your birthright as a son of God. You have bold access to the throne of grace. You can lay hold of that throne of grace and His mercy at the time of need. How do you do that? John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. He it is that bears much fruit. True eternal life, Jesus said in John 17, 3, is to know Him and the Christ that belongs to the Father. It's so important that we understand if you want more of God, you're going to have to determine yourself to find Him. If you want more of Him, you're going to have to determine yourself to find Him. He's in pursuit of you. David said, oh God, you are my God. God lay hold of David's heart. But then the response comes back, earnestly I seek you. There was a determination in his heart. My flesh faints for you. My spirit thirsts for you. And then in verse 2, he says, So, because of this pursuit, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. I want to tell you today, what you look for, you will bump into. Every married person in this room, if you look for what's wrong with your spouse, you're going to find it. How many know that? If if you look for what's right, you're going to find it. If you look for what's wrong at Newman Church, you'll find it. That's why we've got to get religious spirits out. That's why we've got to get that that negative, critical thing out. It's not that we're, we're not blind to the things that need to be improved. But if you approach life from a cynical sort of worldview and a negative critical worldview, you'll never have any joy in your life. You'll never be at peace and at rest. We all need to grow. We all are on a journey of sanctification. But whatever you look for, you'll bump into. And and people will disappoint you and things won't go to plan. But let me tell you, if you look for God, not only will you bump into Him, you will not be disappointed. He says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, my um, son, my younger son, Joshua, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I love my kids so much. And there's a fierceness about my, my love for them and, and their future and their call. But when Joshua was a little boy, he loved to play hide and seek. And he particularly loved to play with his dad. And I worked out real quick that what he loved the most was the delight of being pursued. When he got found, I was like, oh, you know, but it was this anticipation of the delight of being pursued. And then what he loved when he was seeking and I was hiding was the delight of his pursuit for his father. How much more so our heavenly father Sometimes God likes to play hide and seek with you and I. He's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you because He is wanting to see the delight of your heart, seeking Him out in pursuit of Him. And often when silence, when the voice of God becomes silent and we're not hearing the same way He did, it's because God has changed His approach. He's hiding for us in a different way because He doesn't want us to rely upon Him as a formula 
or rely upon the formula of how we used to hear Him. There is a new aspect of Him He wants us to discover. And so in the pursuit of playing hide and seek with God, we learn and discern a new facet of His nature and His character that brings us into a new dynamic of our relationship with God. We have got to embrace the wonder of childlikeness. This is why in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, you've hidden these things. What things? Revelation truth. You've hidden revelation and an awareness and understanding of true spiritual riches from the wise and intelligent and prideful of this age. And you've revealed them to little infants. Why does God hide truth from the prideful and reveal truth to the humble and childlike in heart? It's because revelation is powerful and He does not want prideful people becoming powerful and misrepresenting His nature and using revelation, truth and knowledge for their own gain. And so He conceals truth. He hides truth from the self-satisfied because they will not pursue it after they're denied the first time. But those who are childlike and those who are humble and those who have embraced childlikeness, embrace this glorious pursuit of more of God. God, You are my God, but earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. And God says, I like that. Here you go. I'm gonna reveal more of myself to you. What does Jeremiah 29, 13 says? It says, you shall seek me and you shall find me. When, when you seek me with what? All, not some. If you only want some of God, then some of your heart will seek Him. But you shall seek me. You'll get me and who I am when you seek me with all of your heart. I firmly believe that a loss of hunger has weakened Christianity. A lack of appetite for more of God has caused us to settle for the form, a form of godliness rather than the power of godliness. Why? Because when you're not hungry, you're, you're okay with an imitation. Paul spoke to Timothy about godlessness in the last days, that people will have the appearance, the form of godliness, but deny the power of it. When you and I have a smug self-satisfaction with where we are at, we get lulled into this place of passivity, routine relationship, routine worship, routine Christianity, and we no longer expect, we're no longer contending. I love what Pastor Glenn said. We've got to contend for the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. But but we're, we're, God has already said yes, we're the amen. We've got to contend. There are bookends to this pursuit. What begins with God, yes, He will bring through to completion as we partner with Him in the pursuit. God wants to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. And it's not because He's insecure. It's because He is the source of all things. It's in Him we live and move and have our very being. He is waiting for someone to want Him. He will not manifest Himself where there is no pursuit. 2 Chronicles 16.9 talks about, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro uh, across the earth, looking to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him. God's eyes are looking for someone who is hungry. And when He finds someone who is hungry, He manifests Himself 
to them. And so if you're going to find God, if you want more of God, you've got to make a determination to find Him. All of the heroes of the faith made a determination to find Him. Moses had a relationship with God. He loved God. He he moved in miracle working power. And yet Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord says, my glory is going to pass by, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock because if you see my face, you'll be dead. And so no one can see the face of the Lord and live. And so He hides him in the clefts of the rock and shelters him from seeing the full because it literally will obliterate Moses if he does. And so God's glory passes by and we read where Moses sees the backside glory of God. And scholars tell us that when Moses got a glimpse of just the backside of God, he saw where God had been from the beginning of time. And he saw that and was inspired to write Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God. When you just get a glimpse of God's backside, you'll have more ammunition, firepower and spiritual truth in your life than you can poke a stick at and be able to compute in your brain. But I'm telling you, you're not going to encounter the reality of the glories of God if you don't determine to find Him. What did David say? He, he, he was a man after God's own heart. Earnestly I seek you. He was a lover. He was so passionately in love with God. And when the Bible says that he is, God said, he is a man after my own heart, he wasn't saying he was perfect in character. No, we know David was not perfect. He wasn't the best dad at times. He wasn't the best king at times. He wasn't the best husband at times. He was imperfect in his character. He was on a journey of sanctification, but his direction, his orientation, his trajectory was in pursuit of God. You can get a lot of things wrong in life, but if your pursuit is Him and your desire is Him and your trajectory is Him, it is amazing what God's grace will do in your life. God's grace will do things for you. That's why He he uses all of us in spite of us. And you can get that wrong and that wrong. But if there is a repentant, honest heart, that's why I say, let's just get real and honest before the Lord. And so you say, okay, how does this look practically? I'm fired up. I'm ready to sell the house. How does this look? How does this work? Well, you've got to understand something. We live in an age of complexity. And complexity distracts us from the simplicity of the pursuit of God alone. Have you discovered life is getting more complex? You know, there's a new app to download. If I have to download one more app, I'm telling you. I could manifest, right? There's more rules to comply with. There's more road rules to comply with. So is that really necessary? Yeah, apparently it is, right? There's more compliance required in your business. There's more bills you've got to pay. You get the the electric company, uh, your your rates are going up. Anyone had that? Your rates are going up. The interest rates go. Life gets more complex. And before you know it, it's not just now a pursuit of God. It's a pursuit of God and. God and. The practical affairs of life. God and my reputation. God and my success. God and my career. 
God, whatever comes after your end is going to prevent you from a full revelation of who God is. What's coming after your end? Because many of us wonder why we can't break through. It's because we've made life so complex. We need to strip back the end. God knows there are practical things to attend to. And part of that, that is part of your stewardship back to God. But so many of us make all of our time and effort and energy about our end rather than God. The greatest word that I received last year, late last year, out of all the prophetic words I got, was when a brother walked up to me at a conference and said, the word of the Lord to you is strip back. Those two words reverberated off my heart and mind so compellingly that my whole world, my existence, everything that I was am was filtered through my decision making. What I said yes to, what I said no to was filtered through that, that word and exhortation stripped back. I believe the word of the Lord for the church in this hour is strip back your end and seek only me. Yeah. It's not God end, it's God. What does that mean? It means you get ruthlessly honest. Come on. You get raw with God. You don't come to Him with highfalutin articulation and, and, and do spiritual and theological gymnastics to try and convince Him that you desire Him. No, you get raw and real. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as do the Gentiles do. But they think that they're going to be heard through their many words. But when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer, is very simple, but gee, it's powerful, it's profound. It's stripped back and yet contained within it is this firepower, this awareness of heavenly realities. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much of our praying and our seeking of God has been empty words? How much of my preaching, how much of my ministry, my life has been vain and empty because God said, my word will not return to me void. My word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I send it out to perform. We've got to seek God only and honestly. Now, deep down in our hearts, there is lurking within us this little itty bitty hesitation. We all have it, including preachers, pastors and leaders. This question deep in our hearts that says, if I seek God only with all that I am, won't my life's options be narrowed and my heart's desires be restricted? Can I really trust God? with my heart's desires and all of my life options. You see, that for me was one of the reasons why it was a stumbling block to me because I withheld a percentage of my heart back from a full pursuit of God because I wasn't sure I could fully trust Him. Won't my life narrow in its options? Do you know anyone in the Bible that ever had a struggle with that? Hello, the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus went through the list of the big ones, the big commandments. Don't murder, 
Don't commit adultery. Honor your mother and father. And he responded to justify himself. He said, all these I've done from my youth. And Jesus said, oh, but you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that rich young ruler who was pursuing God had an end. It was called greed for wealth. And his heart went away sorrowful because he was trying to seek God and eternal life. But right there after God was an end and it dominated his whole approach and everything he did. And Jesus in Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the way is easy on the broad path and through the wide gate, but that gate leads to destruction. But enter through the narrow gate for the way is hard that leads to life and few find it. See, many of us have a distorted value system and worldview of what it means to have God and nothing else. After Jesus preached his Dracula message, you know what his Dracula message is? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And at that saying, crowds, literally hundreds, if not thousands, leave Jesus. Why? This is a hard saying. Who can understand? They completely misinterpreted it. It was a metaphor. Okay, and then Jesus looks, but the truth of the metaphor was still in place. And Jesus looks at the disciples and said, are you going to go too? Is this too hard for you? Is this too narrow for you? And Peter said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Only one, only you have the words of life. Now I began to think about when in the Old Testament, when God divided Canaan up, he apportioned morsels of land, parts of land to all of the different tribes. The tribe of Judah would get an allotment of land, a parcel of land. The tribe of Benjamin, they would get a parcel of land. But when it came to the tribe of Levi, what did God say? He said, you shall have no land as your inheritance because I am your inheritance. God was their inheritance. And because Levi had God as their inheritance, they were the wealthiest tribe out of all of the tribes in Israel. Why? Because the person who has God for their treasure has everything they will ever need or want. And we push back against God and His pursuit of us and his desire for us and and we look at our end and all the things that we want and God is saying I am your greatest treasure I am your inheritance all through the Bible the parables of the kingdom and the gospels in Matthew 13 he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and a man found that treasure and he went and sold all that he had and he went back and he bought the whole field There is no cost too great. There is nothing of this earthly world or earthly treasure that compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, once you have the source of life, you have all the treasure you'll ever need. 
And what has happened even in the church is we've been deceived into thinking that if we have certain earthly treasures more than others, that we are even of more and greater worth than our peers or those around us because we've measured ourselves by our own earthly treasures rather than laying hold of the one treasure that makes more than anything. He is the eternal treasure. And David, after he says, Oh God, you are my God, Honestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. He says, I've looked upon your sanctuary. I've seen you. I've beheld your power and glory. And here's what he says in verse three, because your love is better than life. What's he saying? You are my treasure. Your love for me and my love for you is better than life itself. And then in verse five, he says, because I have made you my treasure, my soul will be satisfied. There is a contentment. There is a peace. There is a satisfaction that comes that says, God, I am full, but I'm still hungry. I'm full of you. I'm full of your presence. I'm full of your peace. I'm full of your love. I'm full of your joy, but I'm still hungry for you. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Paul said to the Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul follows on at the end of Corinthians and says as they're arguing over divisions and and, and, and Cephas, Peter and Apollos and Paul and and, and he comes to the Corinthians and he says, don't you realise when you have Christ as your treasure, all things are yours? Whether life or death or the world or the present or eternity, everything is yours. Why? Because you're Christ's. And Christ is God's. And today I am praying that if there has been complacency that has come into our hearts and our pursuit of God, we would repent of that. We would turn away from that. We would change our mind and change our heart. That we would be delivered of apathy and complacency. It's the greatest weapon of the enemy in the last days. It is to deceive believers into thinking that near enough is good enough when it comes to our relationship with God. That once you're saved, it's all good. No, there's so much more in the mansion of relationship. If you're locked in the doorway, uh, then, then you are not growing into the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ. There's a mansion of a living room for you to discover. There's a, there's a, a kitchen of the living word for you to eat on. There's all sorts of rooms in the mansion of relationship and he's stirring his, his church for more of him today. I'm full, but I'm still hungry. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.